Welcome back to the five things this week in social. We were off last week. Uh, did we miss anything? Did Facebook change its name? Uh, yeah, so they're meta now. So uh, you can hide your barbecue sauce wherever you want. This is going to be a great week. All right. So the crew is here today. I've got Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Joey. And I've got Tommy Boyce. Hello, Tommy. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, here are the five things this week. Tommy will tell us about Pinterest, who announced a new shoppable live stream series. Amanda will get into Snapchat and NBC Universal partnering to bring NBC-related audio to Snaps. Uh, Tommy will tell us about TikTok, who is testing a new tipping feature. How about all that, T? Uh, and then Amanda gets into Facebook, who is shutting down facial recognition. And then finally, Tommy will talk to us about the future in super apps. All right, Tommy, let's get going with Pinterest. Tell us about the new shoppable live stream series. Yeah, so it looks like Pinterest is trying to lean into the rising live stream commerce trend, which has already gained huge traction in countries like China with its own series of live shopping events through a new initiative called Pinterest TV. Pinterest TV is a series of live, original, and shoppable events through uh, Pinterest creators. Starting November 8th, the episodes will premiere every weekday and will be recorded and available for users to view on demand, save, and rewatch later. This is very much in line with Pinterest's uh, recent push to explore live stream options. The site recently launched a series of celebrity-led live streams on the Pinterest app to maximize, you know, its sort of e-commerce push. I think that this new series offers brands and marketers a chance to, you know, really make engaging, interactive content on one of the largest e-commerce sites in the world. You know, 450 million users visit Pinterest monthly. It's a huge base to engage with. And when you add the fact that viewers will get exclusive deals from brands like already they've announced partnerships with Patagonia, Allbirds, and more, this is a recipe for brands to make some real, you know, kind of money off of this and find new markets and get new opportunities from this. E-commerce is a key trend or focus for pretty much every social app based on the rising interest in online shopping, you know, as a result of COVID-19 and as a result of new trends in buying behavior. And so I think when you couple that with the ability that Pinterest gains in order to find um, data on user behaviors, uh, direct revenue, revenue for creators who get a share from being a part of these live streams, I think it's a real kind of recipe for success, especially as we enter the holiday season. And I know Pinterest is always, it's, Pinterest is a very, you know, sort of seasonal platform, especially pops off on holidays. People love making their little Christmas mood board. And now they have the chance to buy Christmas presents, make their mood board and watch something entertaining all on one site. And so I think, again, we'll talk about super apps later, but it looks like Pinterest is really trying to make itself a sort of one-stop shop for ideating and then purchasing. So I think it's really interesting and I'm excited to see what sort of content's made from this series. Yeah, that sounds... Uh really, really interesting, um, especially as we get into this time of the year. So Amanda, how do you think uh, brands and marketers could take full advantage of this new feature? So I think live shoppable video is a very untapped market that brands haven't really taken advantage of too much, um, especially on other platforms. 
I don't know that YouTube or Instagram's live shoppable function is really that intuitive. But when you think about apps like the sneakers app, um, where every day there's a different live stream and you have someone talking about the urgency of this new shoe drop or this new line of, of toys or something, it creates this rush and this I must have it moment that you really can't get with regular shoppable video, um, like Infeed, for instance. So brands that do want that urgency and that immediacy of purchase this now um, to the point that Tommy was making, like make an entertainment moment out of it. It doesn't not remind me of the QVC days where you would tune in and have someone talk about something and dial up your phone and buy it. So it's not much different than that. It's the same behavior. But again, brands and marketers that have a product that benefits from urgency and kind of, I want to have that and I need to have that now, um, will find this very useful. Yeah, I love that analogy. Um, okay, so closing down Pinterest and opening up Snap, Amanda, talk to us about their new partnership with NBC Universal. So Snap announced today that it has a new deal with NBC Universal that's going to basically give users um, license to use their audio clips from different movies and TV shows so that they can use it in their clips that they're making, their video clips, their audio clips. And I think what's really interesting about this is you know, when you think of NBC, you think of Saturday Night Live and The Office. So you immediately think of the weekly, for instance, Saturday Night Live, the weekly relevancy that might come from that and joining that social cultural conversation. But people forget that NBCU also has a huge backlog of movies like um, Back to the Future, Billy Madison, Shrek, um, Happy Gilmore, things like that. So these are all ways that NBC Universal is actually putting its content right into the cultural conversation. People are referencing these movies and shows already. If they can have, if Snapchat can have exclusive access to using those audio clips in its content, it's going to start to get a little bit of a leg up on the kind of content that people want to make. So the way that it works is obviously when someone sends you a snap with sound, you can swipe up to view the title of the movie or TV series, which again gives the recognition of what that movie is and where it comes from, which is a huge win um, versus just an audio clip that is out in the ether and you don't know where it comes from. Um, and then you can also see a page where you can um, figure out where the audio is from and see other clips that have used it. So not only giving the users access to use the audio in its content, but also giving kind of this journey back to understand where the audio comes from and, and kind of getting credit for it. And what I will mention too is, is last year, it's important to remember that the company did launch its sounds feature, which allows users to put music directly into their snaps. And since that launch, almost 45% of all of the videos created with sounds were sent via direct message. And when you think about platforms like TikTok and Snapchat, of course, brands can do what they can to try to get into the user's feeds. But really the win is when people are sharing your content organically among each other, you get this relevancy, you get this kind of brand love, you get this recognition for being part of their world that they want to share authentically. So that's a KPI that's obviously worth going after on that channel. So it's pretty exciting. So what you're saying is our Snapchat conversations can have more cowbell. That's what it sounds like to me. More um, cowbell, please. Tommy, more cowbell. Tommy, I don't know if Gen Z is going to get that one. Yeah, you're going to get that reference, Tommy. Uh, we no, get I am curious. Cowbell though. is okay, but I am curious. I am curious. Do you do you think you would use this feature with your friends, Tommy? Yeah, I think I definitely would use this uh, to communicate with people, and I think this is a great move for NBC Universal. I know that. Peacock had somewhat lagging numbers in compared to other streaming services. And as Gen Z, Snapchat's widest audience, largest audience, starts to use this feature and become familiar with NBC's products, it kind of tees them up to want to purchase NBC Universal Peacock in order to 
keep watching the sounds they're using. So I think I definitely would want to make Snapchats with Shrek to my friends. Um, I think that's actually, I don't use Snapchat very often, honestly, and I'm kind of interested to see how this feature is being used and how I would use it in the future. Maybe I'll have to, you know, add a bit more cowbell to my, to my snaps. And Tommy, I think you make a good point too. It's not always, these decisions aren't always just about getting the competitive advantage of content creation and social share. It's also the fact that if, you know, you hear something funny in an audio clip, you can immediately know where that came from, which you can't always do on TikTok, but you can immediately know what show or movie that came from and then say, wow, another NBC show. Maybe I should get Peacock or maybe I should watch this movie. Um, So again, that two-way recognition is really, really powerful. And TikTok hasn't quite figured that out yet. Yeah. And in my opinion, I think, you know, we, we talk about our brands like speaking in in places where they belong and being in conversations that make sense. And for me, I think this partnership really makes sense with NBC because of their back catalog. I, I think this, I think this could be really, really fun for Snapchat. I'm excited to scare my friends with it. Um, all right, Tommy, uh, let's switch over now to TikTok's new tipping feature and, uh, talk to us about it. Yeah, let's get into TikTok tipping with Tommy. Um, so TikTok is experimenting with a new tool that allows TikTok users to tip, that's such a, I love the tease, to tip creators directly on their profiles. Users can tip uh, creators 5, 10, 15, or custom dollar amount of their choosing. And anonymous tips will be allowed if you don't want to put your face on the dollar amount. So according to a video of the tips featured shared this week by TikTok creator Jared Bean, any money tipped creators will go directly to that individual. TikTok won't take a cut. And that's pretty big news and very attractive to creators. That one definitely caught my eye. In order to qualify, TikTok creators must be in good standing with the with the platform, must have at least 100,000 followers, meet an age requirement, and agree to TikTok's terms. TikTok has confirmed, however, that this feature is part of a limited test for, for the time being and is not yet broadly available. I think this is a huge step forward for the platform in terms of creator monetization because previously the platform only allowed for tipping during live streams. Now you can directly go to a creator's page and just, you know, give them a five, give them a 20, pay for their drink, pay for their dinner. Um, And I think this further positions TikTok as the premier place for creators to go in order to make a career out of, you know, creating. The company introduced a $200 million fund aimed at helping creators in the U.S. this past year. They help creators sign brand partnerships and sponsorship deals all the time. Their TikTok marketplace and TikTok business sort of function is thriving and it really helps creators. And they also provide a monetization for live streams, as I mentioned earlier. We talk about TikTok all the time for a reason. It's where it seems like the most content is being made by some of the world's biggest and most renowned creatives and creators. I mean, guys, even like Taylor Swift has a TikTok and she has, you know, 10 Grammys or something like that. So I think, again, this is a big step forward for TikTok. And again, it kind of just makes it the the place for creators to make a living. And because of that, it's the best place for brands to come and work with creators and make, you know, the kind of authentic, effective material that TikTok's known for. So I think this really just further cements TikTok in that spot over other platforms. Yeah, Amanda, do you think this is a good for creators ultimately? Yeah, taking 0% of the cut on tips is really huge. And to Tommy's point, I don't think any platform has really done it um, in that capacity. The other thing to remember though, is when 
something that seemingly is easy, like making content, which we know it's not, when something seemingly is easy um, and the accessibility is very low, all you really need is a cell phone. The reality is if they extend this to pretty much anyone with 100K followers plus, there's going to be an influx of content creators and not all of them will be um, as consistent, have the engagement that a brand might want, have the you know style or the skill set that necessarily would come with being a content creator. So I think with this, we will see an influx of um, influencers and content creators on the platform, obviously trying to make some of that free money, allegedly. Um, so I think it's important um, if brands don't already have it figured out exactly what they're looking for in a partner, of, in a content creator, in an influencer, to really, really drill down on what is the core of what we're trying to get from this partnership and using that as a lens for how they gauge the future of content creation because it's not going anywhere. Yeah. I hope they expand this. I it, This sounds like it could be um, a really great program and really benefit all the creators. Um, and before we move on, um, I just want to say, uh, I don't want to get any emails from Taylor Swift fans, but I just Googled it. She has 11 Grammys, Tommy. So uh, before we get that's on me, emails, I should be I should be a better Swiftie than that. I'm very sorry. Just want to make sure we're doing all the fact checking we have uh, and our fingertips. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> While we're recording. Um, okay. Okay. Amanda, talk to us about Facebook shutting down their facial recognition program. Facebook is getting rid of its faces. They announced that they will shut down its facial recognition system, which has been operating for about a decade. Um, and it's basically the technology that scans your face. It asks if you want to identify people in your photos and things like that. So, this is a big deal. Um, Facebook has been criticized for it a long time, and they've received a lot of concern around privacy, um, government investigations. They've been allegedly asked by the government to identify people in, you know, um, surveillance footage and things like that. And they've also received a class action lawsuit um, to shut this down. So this is not incredibly surprising, as Facebook has been under some heat on its privacy and regulation. It's a little worrying that this came after the whistleblower testimony. I would hope that this is more of a, a, a nice-to-have response versus something that they needed to shut down because it was doing anything terrible. Um, but when you think about you know, how facial recognition software is used around the world, it does create a concern. And in the U.S. alone, you know, law enforcement uses it to aid its policing. There's a lot of fears of like, where does the line stop between law enforcement and Facebook? Um, so a lot of states have actually banned the technology to prevent this abuse. So this isn't wildly surprising. Um, it's another step in what we've been talking about, too, around Web3 and the decentralization of information and, and privacy and personal data where a lot of people just really won't stand for having their data held by a company that they don't know what's being done with it. Um, so it's a big, big deal for Facebook, but not the most surprising as they start to turn to the metaverse, which I will say not to make every podcast about the metaverse. But if Facebook wants people to join its metaverse, they will need to feel safe and they will need to feel secure and they will need to feel private. So I'm sure we will see a lot of steps like this that start to potentially position Facebook as a very safe private space. So a smart, proactive move uh, from Meta. Tommy, do you have any any thoughts on, on this one? Yeah. Uh, Meta, I love saying that now, uh, making a good move. Who'd have thunk? Um, I think we have to look through every major platform change that Meta, it's so weird, uh, that Meta makes now through the eyes of their rebrand. 
what does this say about what they're trying to achieve in brand recognition and in sort of the ways they want to move past their Facebook identity to their new identity focus on the metaverse. And I think, I think honestly, every podcast from now on will turn into a metaverse discussion a little bit because of Facebook and because of these changes. And I think exactly to your point, Amanda, I don't have much more else to say. It really just, they're trying to shed the negative baggage and perception from their Facebook brand, a big part of which was um, this facial recognition. I think they lost something like six and a half billion dollars from lawsuits by the U.S. government and from lawsuits by states about this feature. And so it seems to be an easy decision moving forward to this new identity and to this future as a metaverse-faced company to just drop one of their most controversial features. So I think this is, it's a, a move that makes sense, but still it's surprising seeing it, honestly. It's a pretty dramatic shift for the platform. Yeah, and it also, I could see it being tied to user behavior because how often are we tagging photos on Facebook anymore that, you know, I need to save that three seconds so that when I type my friend's name in, it just automatically pops up. Like, it feels like um, like the the cost does it outweighs the the benefit. All right, Tommy, talk to us about the future. The future is super apps. <laughs> Yeah, friends, the future is now. Um, so this isn't really like a news update, more of like a trend alert about super apps. There's a really great article from The Verge that I looked at that examines super apps and how our future will start involving them pretty soon and already is in some way. It talks about WeChat, which for those of you who don't know, is a Chinese messaging app that essentially acts as a platform for facilitating life online in the world's most populous country. WeChat doesn't just let you message your friends, as you think the name would detail. Uh, you can do everything from taking out a loan to buy a car on WeChat. That's a real thing you can do. And commerce done through many apps that WeChat lets other developers build on its platforms reached $240 billion last year alone, more than double from the previous year. That's like, that's unprecedented. And there really isn't a parallel in America for this sort of super app. You can't buy a car on Facebook. And it seems like other social apps are doing their best to catch up. They're morphing from single or dual use cases. You know, they went from messaging their friends or browsing content to encompass more what people actually do online, like buy things or post videos. WhatsApp, which is a part of Facebook or Meta, recently added a directory in South America to let users find local businesses. And in India, it's actually trialing providing loans too, like what, like WeChat. Twitter started as, you know, a copy-based service, but now it lets users host audio rooms and put out newsletters uh, and hide their tweets behind a paywall. TikTok added in-app shopping and produced a platform for developers to build their own app experiences into the main feed. So these huge like Western giants of social platforms are really trying to get into this game and make up for lost time. And I think we're going to start seeing these platforms that we're more used to become super apps, become a one-stop shop for everything you could possibly need in a social platform, e-commerce, messaging, video sharing, you name it. They're all focused on integrating themselves on the home screen as the home screen app that consumers use without even thinking about it. Like, of course, I go to Twitter spend my whole day on there. I mean, that's what I do, not everyone else. But maybe someday, everyone will do that. They play their cards right. So I think that this is a major trend that we're going to start seeing, that we're already seeing happen before our eyes, and we should continue to follow, especially 
here as we examine this stuff every week, and especially for brands and you know marketers, social media people, because it's really going to change the way how we connect and use these apps. Yeah, you mentioned at the top uh, that Pinterest seems to be making a move towards this, and I feel like you you know you mentioned like the app taking over the full screen as soon as you open it up. Sort of reminds me of Snapchat when you see yourself as soon as you open up the app. I guess my question is. Do you both feel like this is a huge step or have these been incremental steps that we've been building up to this big picture this whole time? I think it's definitely incremental, Joey. And it's also the way that we think about, again, the metaverse as it's going to be layering on the functionality and the behaviors that we're already seeing on the app and making them more accessible, more fluid, a quicker journey, easier to, instead of if you see a story about something that you want to buy on a different website, if you could just buy it right there, that obviously takes a bunch of clicks away. So it'll be essentially taking away steps of that process that normally would be barriers and making it a very seamless experience. And to Tommy's point, like it will be based on behaviors that people are already doing in the app, but just facilitating them a little bit more. I think that's very interesting and something that we will definitely uh, keep our eye on as we keep talking about Web3 and the metaverse and just where all of these uh, apps on our phones and devices are going. Well, friends, I have some uh, news that is exciting, but also uh, sad for us. After our party pod last week, our friend Juliana told us that she was leaving Gray to new adventures. And so I just want to say on behalf of the team on the pod that we want to thank her for all of her contributions to the five things over the past couple years. And uh, we wish her well. And Juliana, you are loved and will be missed on this podcast. Um, okay, so if you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, you can send those over to podcasts at gray.com. Uh, I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining me this week. And thanks to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. I'm Joey. Thank you. See you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.